Well, thanks, uh, Darren. Uh, welcome. Uh, great to see you um, today. Uh, I hope you are well. Uh, I want to start my sermon today with a bit of a rant, um, because in my humble opinion, Americans have a lot to answer for. Uh, now, just a brief survey of recent history, I think will prove me right. Uh, the 20th century, so the century just gone, uh, has, is known as the American century. And look where it's uh, got us. I think you can see that as American influence has spread, uh, negativity and destruction uh, has followed in their wake. They draw people in with their attractive way of life only to bend and twist them to their ways. I am, of course, talking about the corrupting influence um, that they've had on my mother tongue, the English language. Uh, mainly through their, uh, the cultural influence of Hollywood, it's their optimism, their seemingly unending positivity, uh, I think has led to uh, language um, that would describe things like this amazing view, not simply as spectacular, but totally pseudo-awesome, right? Or this view here, uh, not just as breathtaking, but ridiculously gorgeous. Uh, not just a cute picture of a kitten, but a totes absorbs, right? No, um, such corruption of the English language. Let, let me tag in uh, C.S. Lewis, a British author and theologian, um, to uh, bolster my argument here. Uh, he says this, look, don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you mean very. Otherwise, you will have no words left when you want to talk about something really infinite. Uh, he's warning us that a superlative use of language rids it of its meaning. Now, uh, today we're continuing our sermon series, uh, looking at This Is Your God. Um, and what we've effectively been doing is look at God and we're splitting open his attributes like a, a prism separates rays of lights out into its different uh, colors. And we've looked at all of these different attributes of God. Um, we're teasing each of them apart. Today, we are looking at this uh, latest one, God, glorious in goodness. Now, the difficulty with looking at a topic like God's uh, goodness is the word good can seem so understated when you compare it next to an American phrase like super awesome. But let's redeem this word good uh, together. Now, when I was preparing for this sermon, there are so many verses that we could look at to describe God's goodness. It's riddled all the way through the biblical story. Genuinely, we could write a series on God's goodness, incidences of it throughout the Bible. But I've picked one uh, verse to uh, preach from today, which is this. He is good and his love endures forever. Uh, we find it first in 1 Chronicles 16 verse 34. Uh, but you know it's repeated again in 2 Chronicles 5 and then 2 Chronicles 7 and then Ezra uh, 3 and so on and so on and so on. It's repeated 11 times uh, throughout scripture. And this verse is providing my structure uh, for my talk uh, today. He is good and his love endures forever. So let's look at the first half of this verse together. He is good. Now, as we've said, like good can sometimes be a lackluster word, can't it? Uh, in front, uh, when we compare it to these uh, amazing words that we use nowadays. Uh, but what does really it mean? Uh, often I think of my own use of the word good is either when I'm commending a dog or a small child for doing something well, you know, like a good boy, right? It, it means then this sense of uh, it's something is worthy of approval, and goodness in God, just as in human beings or in other situations, means you've found something that's admirable or attractive or praiseworthy. 
But the difference between God and man is that goodness to God is his essence. It's a summary of the utter perfection of his nature. Whereas when we talk about it with creatures like us uh, as humans, goodness is kind of added to us, but with God it's essential uh, to who he is. Uh, see, God is the highest good and indeed it's definition. Good is what God approves. And why is what God approves good? Our answer must simply be because he approves it. There is no higher standard in the world to which we can uh, appeal. I'm going to quote Arthur Pink a few times in this sermon today. And he has this to say about God's goodness. God is not only the greatest of all beings, but the best. And so the Bible is full of God's goodness, full of stories of God declaring his goodness and his people experiencing it as well. Uh, let me uh, start with a, a brief uh, story from the Bible. We find it in uh, Exodus. I don't know if you've seen the Disney film, uh, The Prince of Egypt. Uh, this is a film that tells that story of a character named Moses who is brought up within the Egyptian royal household despite him being a Hebrew whose people are enslaved by Egypt. And it's a story of the Exodus, that is freedom from slavery, the Hebrew people being broken from bondage from Pharaoh and the uh, Egyptians. Uh, and it's uh, Disney turned it into this amazing film, The Prince of Egypt, you should totally watch it. Uh, the verses that I'd like to draw our attention to is actually set after this film. So the film finishes just as the people are released and they go out into the wilderness and to the desert where they spend 40 years before they enter the promised land of Israel. And in those 40 years, God has a number of interactions with his uh, people. Uh, one of them is recorded uh, for us in Exodus uh, 33, um, verses nine, verse 19. And this is where uh, the Lord God is addressing Moses and saying that I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you and I will proclaim my name uh, before you. And then in fulfillment of this promise to pass his goodness in front of him, to proclaim his name to Moses, uh, God then says this in Exodus 34 uh, verses 5 uh, to 7. God comes to Moses and proclaims his name. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. This is a description of God's goodness for us. And if you're wondering why well, it kind of feels a bit like God's goodness is actually quite hard uh, to pin down, here's a quote from a guy named J.I. Packer who's written an excellent book called uh, Knowing God. And I think he unpacks this uh, well for us. He says, God's truthfulness and God's trustworthiness, his unfailing justice and wisdom, his tenderness, forbearance, an entire adequacy to all who penitently seek his help, his noble kindness in offering people the exalted um, destiny of fellowship with him in holiness and love. These things together make up God's goodness in the overall sense of the sum total of his revealed excellencies. Wow, God is good. It's a simple phrase, God is good, but as you can see, it carries such weight doesn't it? This one word good seems to be so closely related to so many other of God's characteristics. Indeed, say we could describe God's mercy as his goodness towards those that are in distress, or we could describe God's grace as his goodness to those who only deserve his punishment. We could, decide, um, we could uh, talk about God's patience being his 
goodness towards those who continue to sin over a period of time. God's goodness is not just something that we can say of him, but it's also something that we can see in him. Because God is good, God does good. As Psalm 119 puts it in uh, verse uh, 68, uh, when talking praises to God, you are good and what you do is good. So you are good and what you do is good. And we can see a couple of really explicit examples of God's goodness to us uh, in the Bible. Now there are loads that we could turn to. Uh, I've picked two, the first of which we can see God's goodness to us in creation. And for this, we need to look no further than the first chapter of the Bible at Genesis 1. Now, at each stage of creation, so it's described for us in seven days uh, across this account in Genesis 1, uh, in each day there's a repeated refrain, God saw that it was good, all culminating on the seventh day with this proclamation in Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw all that he has made and it was very good. Now the Psalms, uh, a book of uh, songs that we find in the Old Testament in the Bible, again, pick up on this theme. They're full of God's praises, of God's goodness to us, shown through creation. For example, in Psalm 139 and in Psalms 145, um, both of those Psalms praise God for giving food and provision to every creature. Uh, if you know um, your Bibles uh, well, you also know this is an example that Jesus uh, uses to describe God's goodness to us so that we don't need to worry. He there describes the birds in Matthew 6, doesn't he? And says, look, look at the birds. They don't harvest, but their God provides for all of their needs, so don't worry either. Uh, in Psalm 139, a, a majestic psalm, um, that points to us being fearfully and wonderfully made. God's goodness in creation is seen in us, the way that we are made and interact. God's goodness is seen in natural blessings that are all around us. Every meal, every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sun, every night's sleep, every moment of health and safety, everything that sustains and enriches life, all of these are God's gift to us to you it's a divine gift and all of these mercies that God shows us through creation however abundant are actually overshadowed by the greater offer of redemption that God offers to us in Jesus Christ now God gives us so many good things including ultimately himself uh, there is no greater gift and he gives of himself freely and abundantly to all who ask. God's goodness to us is shown in Jesus, that we can see it in Jesus when we look at his life. Now if you think about Jesus' life and the way it's portrayed for us in uh, scripture, in the gospels, um, the nativity story that starts Jesus' life is what we celebrate together at Christmas time, uh, isn't it? I love the words of the angels that come to the shepherds when they proclaim this good news that Jesus is about to be born into the world. Um, and the angels come and proclaim um, this song in uh, Luke 2 verses 11 to 14. Let me read those for, uh, for you. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, 
good will towards men. The angels here are proclaiming God's great gift of Jesus to us. Jesus given to us to provide for our deepest needs. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament, uh, summarizes it like this really well in Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful summary of the gift of God to us. In these two halves of the verses, we can see it. Uh, the wages, that is the, the price for all the wrongdoing that we do before God and to others, that's death. It's separation from God. But I love this verse because it talks about this gift of God, something that he gives freely to us. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is something that God gifts to us in Jesus. And this is his goodness on display for us. God delights to give us good things. And what better thing to give us than his own son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived died, resurrected and ascended and now glorified in heaven who has sent his Holy Spirit to live within us. Now this is such a precious gift. Our next two sermons actually are on these themes of Jesus Christ, the goodness of God, the gloriousness of God that we see in Jesus and then also the fact that God comes and lives inside of us by his Holy Spirit. Do not miss out on those sermons that will carry on looking at these incredible scenes and God's goodness to us in them. So where have we got to so far in this sermon? We're basically saying, do you know who God is? He is good. And we're looking at the depth of that word being the, like just description of so much good that God wants to give to us. Now because God is good, so he will always be good. Uh, this is the second half of the verse that we're looking at together, isn't it? God is good and his love endures forever. Because God is good, his love endures forever. And it's important that we get this, that we understand that God will always be good to us, so God will always be faithful to us because his love endures through all things. This is important we get it, uh, particularly in our day and age, uh, particularly in the UK here, which is uh, my setting where I live uh, here in London. Uh, we talk a lot about fake news at the minute. I wonder if you've heard about it as well. It, it's basically a culmination of this sense of can we trust what we read in the media? With the proliferation of online material, it seems that anyone can write what they like and put it up online. And it's really hard for us to trust what is written. I know in the UK as well, um, our society's most sacred vows, the wedding vows, uh, the, the vows that a couple will make to each other on their wedding day, actually do not hold the same value that they used to. Divorce rates are going through the roofs. It, it seems that with exceedingly rare exceptions, actually man's word to one another is no longer their bond. But how different God is. Uh, let me tag in again uh, Mr. Pink uh, for this. He says in his book, The Attributes of God, everything about God is great, vast, incomparable. He never forgets, never fails, never falters, never forfeits his word. This is tremendously good news for us. God is good and he never fails. He never falters. He is always faithful. Uh, there's a verse in uh, Numbers 23 that puts it like this. God is not human 
As in God is not like us, that he should lie. He is not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he act and then, uh, sorry, does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? Of course, the answer to these questions are no. God speaks and therefore he acts. God promises and he always fulfills those promises. Uh, A couple of examples, again, that we can draw on from uh, the Bible. The first of which is the story of Joshua. He's the guy that um, came after Moses in the leadership of God's people, Israel. And he is the one that, um, as they approach uh, the, uh, the promised land, he takes God's people into the promised land and they conquer it together. And he reflects at the end of his life. Uh, with the gathered people of Israel there. And he's talking about how good God has been to the Israelites. And he says this in Joshua 23, verse 14. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That is, that he's going to die. But you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. He said that he's taken the, uh, the, uh, the people of God on a journey from being in the wilderness to being in that land of promise. And standing in that land of promise, he's looking back and saying, see these promises that God made to us when we left Egypt, that he would give us a good land. Oh, see how he has fulfilled them. Here we are. Or we could look at Solomon, King Solomon. Uh, so this is a, a king who kind of oversaw the golden age of Israel, Israel at its greatest uh, extent. He's the one that built the temple of God, the first uh, temple. He's the son of King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. Solomon himself is famed for his wisdom and writing a number of books of the Bible uh, there. And he says, he reflects this when he's completing the temple and having dedicated it. So he says this in 1 Kings 8 verse 24. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, and with your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Again, he's praying to God, and before the gathered people, to essentially say to them, look at the promises that God made to our ancestors, that we would not only inherit the land, but we would build a permanent temple to be able to worship God in. Here we are, dedicating this temple to God. Now all of these uh, culminate, so there's a number of other stories that we could have looked at, but I'm just sorry we don't have time. But all of these culminate uh, in a verse that uh, Paul writes. So again, the Apostle Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians 1.20. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Delighted to share with it, with, it, uh, with you today. Uh, it says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Paul is essentially saying here, just like Joshua could at the end of his life and saying, look, God promised that we would be in the promised land. Here we are. Just as Solomon could say and prayed to God before the people of Israel, God promised that we would build a temple. Look, here we are dedicating it. So Paul is saying here, wow, all of these promises that God has made to his people are fulfilled to us in Jesus Christ himself. And no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many that you want to count, they are yes in Jesus Christ. Now I want to draw out just a selection of the few things that God has promised. Now there are hundreds that I could have drawn up for you. I could be speaking to you until next Tuesday, but I won't. 
Uh, I'm just going to select eight for us to look through now. These are things that God has promised that are now ours in Jesus Christ. So through Christ, through Jesus Christ, we have access to the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the peace of God, the knowledge of God, joy in God, the fullness of life, resurrection and eternal life. All of these things and many, many, many more are ours because of Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes to us in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful verse. Uh, Do a study on the promises of God in scripture in your own time. These are just a handful, like I say, maybe some of my favorites, but do do a study of them in your own time and look at how all of these are fulfilled for you in Jesus Christ. Now, our God is a covenant-making and a promise-keeping God, and this is amazing news. If you want proof of this, look to Jesus, and you see God's goodness to us there. Uh, One last quote. This is my last quote from uh, uh, Pink here. It's an incredible chapter. You should get this book uh, if you you can. Uh, He says uh, this, When you are tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God, cry out, get thee hence, Satan. Now that's old language for basically saying, go away, Satan. Though you cannot now harmonize God's mysterious dealings with the avowals of his love, wait on him for more light. In his own good time, he will make it plain to you. These words should comfort us from Mr. Pink here. He's basically saying when you're in that moment where life feels hard and you're doubting the goodness and faithfulness of God, in that moment, tell Satan to get away from you. He is tempting you. Um, to forsake the, um, the faithfulness of God. Pink here is saying, look, if you're going through things in your life and you can't quite square them with the love that God has promised, wait. Give it more time and God will show you how he is using your circumstances for your good because he does love you. Do you know who God is? He is so good. He is so good. And so do you know who you are? You are loved by God, truly, deeply, eternally. God is good and his love endures forever. Now let me summarize, um, uh, sorry, let me uh, help uh, us apply uh, this truth that God is good to our lives. What difference does it make that God is glorious in goodness? How does it make a difference to uh, to our lives? Well, uh, Jesus summarizes all of the commandments in the whole of the Bible uh, really helpfully for us. He essentially says that the whole of the Bible, all of its commandments to us, can be described in two phrases, love God and love people. Love God and love people. So let's apply the material that we've looked at today about God's goodness to us to these two areas of our lives. How can we love God better? How can we love others better? Let's start with this first one, uh, love God. God. Now, this is about knowing that God is good, acknowledging that God is good. If this is a struggle for you, that you can't quite get to that place of saying God is good, hey, spend time in the verses that we've looked at already uh, today. Uh, Go back and watch this uh, talk again and get these Bible verses out, these stories, meditate on them, God's goodness and his faithfulness to us, not only seen in creation around us, but also on God's goodness to us. I want to encourage you to base your prayers on the promises of God, not just the circumstances that you see around you. 
Have your Bible open as you pray and meditate on the promises of God and look at them. Take time in those verses, those, just at the handful, those eight uh, isolated examples of God's promises to us. Look on those and dwell on them. Make that part of your relationship with God. It will help you to dwell on God's goodness to you. In this way, I want to encourage you to practice gratitude before God. Count your blessings like a small child who you've given a bit of pocket money to. I don't know if you were like this uh, when I was a child when my parents used to give me 20p a week uh, with which to buy some sweets. I would often have a few p uh, left over at the end of that and I would save it up. And I remember I would sit there and count them, you know, literally count them. I mean, there'd be like four or five p there at the end of the day, but I, I would count them out and be like, yes, this is mine. In the same way, spend time counting out the blessings of God, both natural and spiritual in your life. Count them before God and remember them. It will change your walk with God. Base your prayers on the promises of God. How do we do this uh, next bit, uh, love um, people? Well, this is that we should aim to do good. That is that we should do what God approves of. Now, we are built to reflect who God is. Uh, We are made in God's image. And so his goodness and his faithfulness should be things that we too can grow in ourselves. I have a friend named Chris, and I absolutely love him. He's such a positive guy. And one of his descriptions of people that I absolutely love, he'll often say to me, oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, they are such good news. I love that as a description of someone. Oh, they're such good news. I want to ask, can someone say that of you? Can someone say that you are good news to them in their life? Uh, Soberly reflect on that. Are you good news to the people that are around you? Now, if your honest answer is, no, it doesn't seem like that, I get in arguments all the time. Don't be condemned over that truth, but be convicted. Don't fall into condemnation, but be convicted by the Holy Spirit that this is maybe something that God wants to change in your life. God longs for us to reflect him and we can reflect God and his goodness. You should be good news to those that are around you. Do you know the wonderful news about this is that God's goodness and faithfulness, sorry, God's goodness and faithfulness are the fruit of the spirit that we read about. In Genesis 5, um, sorry, Genesis, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, there we read of the fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look how nestled right in the middle of these, goodness and faithfulness. These two attributes that we've looked at uh, this morning, uh, sorry, looked at today in such detail, goodness and faithfulness. These are things that God is saying, look, you can reflect in me too. This is the fruit of my Holy Spirit living within you. If we follow God, if we follow after Jesus and pray into our lives, God, your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. This verse is saying that the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is a flourishing of these attributes, including goodness and faithfulness. Do you want to be good news to those that are around you? Are you faithful Are you trustworthy like God is? Isn't it wonderful? God is faithful to his promises. Are you? When you're talking with others, is your yes, yes? Can people trust what you say? Do you keep your word and your promises? These are things that we can grow in God in. in, That we can be just like him in the good that we show to others and the faithfulness with which we treat others as well. 
Now look, we've covered a whole bunch of ground uh, today uh, and I hope you found it helpful as we've reflected on God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And as I've given you just these few, um, few little applications uh, for you uh, to think about and to make these habits in your own life. Love God and love his goodness. Reflect on it often. Count your blessings. Come before him in gratitude. And love people. Seek to replicate God's goodness in your own life to those that are around you. Be good news to those that are around you as you seek to do good and to be faithful. Well, let me uh, pray just to close uh, my uh, time with you today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so good. You are truly good and your love endures forever. You provide for us and you care for us. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, in whom all of your promises are fulfilled. Help us to reflect you as we do do good to those that live around us. For your glory, our good, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, God bless you wherever you are. It's been such a joy to be with you. I hope to see you again soon.